Hi, everyone. I'm Gary Knoll. Always a pleasure to be able to share an empowering hour. And today we have a very uh, important group of topics to discuss. We begin, however, with the latest on health and healing, and this comes from Imperial College London. Really good news if you've been eating your leafy green vegetables, because you can reduce your risk of bowel cancer, colorectal cancer. And why? Because increasing the amount of folate through the diet or taking supplements could help reduce bowel cancer risk. These are findings of new research and uh, done at the School of Public Health at Imperial College. It suggests that increasing the intake of folate, which can be found in your green vegetables, spinach, cabbage, broccoli, could help to reduce the risk of colorectal cancer by up to 7%. This was published in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition. They looked at 70,000 individuals, and that's what they were able to determine. Now, what if you ate more than the average American? The average American only has about one serving of vegetables and fruits per day, and many children even less. Remember when Ronald Reagan made ketchup a vegetable group? Well, that was ridiculous. No one's going to have a cup of ketchup a day. But that was how ridiculous it was. The power of the special interest groups saying, yeah, make ketchup. That's it, because they're eating french fries. And no, eat the ketchup. No, we need our children eating about seven, ideally seven servings of fruits and vegetables a day. You should be eating about the same. And uh, I know some of you are. And good for you. Because you're going to reduce the risk of uh, colorectal cancer. Also because there's high fiber. That's important. The more quality fiber from nuts and seeds and legumes, the less chance of cancer. Now, also from the Stanford University Medical Center, two different uh, series of research on pairs of identical twins indicate that a vegan diet improves cardiovascular health. When I was writing the book uh, Protein for Vegetarians, and I, I wanted to include vegetarians, not just vegans, but I thought if you're willing to make a change to a vegetarian diet, and where all you had was, let's say, dairy, that would be a big improvement over the standard American diet. And then from there, hopefully in time, a person would find how delicious and healthy vegan food was and how satisfying you feel after a meal. In any case, one of the things that I wanted to do was I wanted to present them with studies. And so I went to the scientific literature, and this is 25 years ago, and I found over 500 studies in quality journals showing that the less meat and sugars and animal proteins, the healthier person was. But then I reversed it. I wanted to see, can you also find a good example of the opposite? If you're eating hamburgers and fried chicken and barbecued ribs uh, and deep fried fish like tilapia, which no one should ever eat under any conditions. Do, does it show that it's going to allow you to avoid disease and be healthier, live a longer life, add years? Not a single study. And yet there were all kinds of studies showing that a high-protein diet would allow you to lose some weight. Okay? But then 
no one said, well, is this a healthy way to lose weight? And the answer was no, it was not. And I can tell you, at one time, probably 15% of my total uh, people coming into the Tri-State Healing Center had been on a high-protein diet, and they suffered consequences to the liver and kidney because of that, because of the breakdown products, because no one knew how much protein was the right amount of protein. Even vegans were eating twice as much protein as they required in a day. So here you have a really good study where they looked at uh, 22 pairs of identical twins and found that a vegan diet improves cardiovascular health in as little as eight weeks. You heard me right, eight weeks. And we also found that was true in examining all of the cardiovascular risk factors in our anti-aging study because one of the people who were supporting the study by providing, they didn't get financial aid, but they provided the objective biomarkers in the blood. They said, take these that show before and after. If there's an improvement, that's very important. That shows that you're slowing down the aging process. And these were the cardiovascular risk factors like triglycerides and C-reactive protein and homocysteine. Because when those are elevated, you have a really high risk of dying of a heart attack or stroke. And ask the average person, when was the last time you had your heart checked for inflammatory markers? When was the last time you had a Doppler check and uh, to check whether or not the 75% of the blood getting the brain goes through the carotid artery? Is your carotid artery in any way blocked? Because I see people all the time who say, Gary, I just found out that I've got 90% blockage in my carotid artery, and now they got to do surgery. And I say, before they do surgery, let's see what can be done with lifestyle modification. And they're going to monitor you anyhow. And almost without exception, we're able to reverse that. So this is all important for you. A healthy vegan diet can help reduce your risk, especially if you're younger, but even if you're older. Because we had people coming into the anti-aging study who were really not healthy at all. And at the end of the study, it was it went on for a total of three months, and now it goes on for six months. In fact, the final, well, there might be one more study, depending upon what this one shows. But after six months, two weeks on campus, the rest at home, all their biological markers have improved. I mean, amazingly improved to where their, let's say their homocysteine was 40. That's a death knock on the door. And it's a silent knock. You won't know it's happening till you grab your chest and you're dead. Or hopefully survive to learn a message you weren't willing to be interested in, even though it existed up to that point. But now it's four. Yeah, 36 point drop. That's just one example. So pay attention. The vegan diet is the diet. To, and all the science supports it. And none of the science supports the health benefits of a meat diet because there are none. In fact, the meat diet has all the studies showing it increases disease. Now, the University of Washington, violence in children's childhood leads to accelerated aging. This we didn't know. We assumed it might be the case because if you're stressed early in life at the emotional level and you believe it's correct, especially if you're blamed as a child for something by an angry parent, 
then what happens is you hold that in and you go on with your life. But the energy is still there. And you might have elevated stress. And elevated stress prematurely age you. In fact, one of the worst hallmarks of aging is stress. Chronic stress or acute stress. They both hurt you. So children who suffer abuse, emotional or physical or both, are more likely to age faster while those who endure food insecurity or neglect may develop more slowly, according to the university. So violence, psychological and emotional abuse, deprivation and neglect, adverse childhood experiences, absolutely affects the epigenetic or cellular aging and biological development. All the more reason, if you don't feel that you're fit as an adult, then you're not going to be fit as a parent. Don't have children. In fact, I suggest people have two years before they have a pregnancy where they go through their own problems and try to resolve as many as possible, both physically and emotionally. Because if they don't, then it's going to end up in the child and they won't even be aware of it. But the child will. And from the Chinese University of Geosciences, moderate, regular exercise is found to alleviate some of the symptoms of postpartum depression. That's good. And this was published in PLOS PLS 1, which is a major scientific journal, open access journal. And they looked at 26 prior studies to learn more about the impact of exercise on women's experiencing postpartum depression. By the way, postpartum depression is a mood disorder associated with women after giving birth. Prior research suggests that between 50 and 75% of all women experience some degree of depression symptoms after giving birth, and 10 to 15% experience symptoms serious enough to be diagnosed with postpartum depression. But exercise helps this. So one more reason to do your exercise every day. And finally, from the University uh, of Virginia School of Medicine, scientists uncover how fermented food bacteria can guard against depression and anxiety. Yes, what they discovered was that lacto, L-A-C-T-O, bacillus, B-A-C-I-L-L-U-S, that's a bacterium found in fermented foods like yogurt and miso and tempeh and tofu, helps the body manage stress and can prevent depression and anxiety. So that's very important. One more reason to get your lactobacillus or one of the other important probiotics into your body every day. Remember, it's your second brain to all that bacteria. And uh, so that's it on health nutrition. We're going to take a break, come back, because I've got a lot of important stuff to share with you today. Back in a moment. Please stay with us. I'm sure you know that that's Rick Ashley. And I remember going to Radio City Music Hall to see him. And he was just a delight. Just this wonderful, um, no-ego personality, telling, talking to the audience in between his songs. And uh, the audience just loved it. You know, we, and that's one of the things I miss about not being in New York uh, all the time that I was for my adult life. And I miss the culture. 
the greatest culture in the world, and I was down at Radio City Music or the Beacon Theater on Broadway or Lincoln Center or the Off-Broadway and Off-Off-Broadway and the, virtually three or four nights a week for decades. So then it, you go cold turkey and you don't have that down here. Got a lot of other things that are wonderful, but that's a very important part. But I'll be coming back shortly uh, to do a, a lecture and premiere a new film and uh, working on another film. And, uh, and I always enjoy meeting the people when I come back to New York. Now, I'm going to share a lot of uh, short clips with you. And the whole theme is censorship and propaganda. Keep in mind, we are all propagandized at different levels throughout our life, not always in nefarious ways. Sometimes it's just that we're taught certain things and it's what's excluded from our education that frequently is a problem. Because remember, when you're being propagandized and you're being told this is the only truth, whatever the topic, you're also being excluded from knowing what the real truth is an exclusion of the truth and only being given what an organization, a corporation, a group, a think tank, an ideological group wants you to believe. And if they just keep feeding this day after day and every single network, every single media source shares that information, then one day you wake up and you have no problem with things that you should have a problem with. You accept things you should reject. So there's good news here. This is from Tyler Durden, and uh, this is from Zero Hedge, a really good site. Quote, Texas sues Pfizer for, quote, misrepresenting COVID efficacy, vaccine efficacy and, quote, conspiring to censor public discourse. Wow, is this important. The Texas Attorney General is suing pharmaceutical giant Pfizer for misrepresenting the effectiveness of the company's COVID-19 vaccine and for conspiring to censor those who question this claim. The suit was filed yesterday and alleges that Pfizer violated the Texas Deceptive Trade Practices Act by engaging in false, deceptive, and misleading acts as it promoted the drug. Quote, the facts are clear. Pfizer did not tell the truth about their COVID vaccines. Attorney General Kenneth Paxton said in a statement, quote, we are pursuing justice for the people of Texas, many of whom are coerced by tyrannical vaccine mandates to take a defective product sold by lies, end quote. Well, we've been following all this nonstop, and we have all the evidence, I mean hardcore evidence, showing that every single thing they told you about COVID and mandated during COVID was lies and unscience, non-science. But now we're finding out with different lawsuits and Freedom of Information Act uh, documents that they knew they were lying and counted upon the government and the platform, social media platforms. Wikipedia is the worst, of course. And, but then there's a Google and Facebook at that time and Twitter and YouTube that they had a whole scheme going and the White House orchestrated this. Now this is all evidence that's out there. It's not conspiracy theory. It's not me saying this. That they threatened these different sites that they could take away that one privilege that protects them from being sued into oblivion, which I wish they all were. 
and that is that uh, they, uh, the uh, Clinton Amendment in there that protects them. So they use that against them. So then, in effect, they threaten and blackmail all these social media that you can't allow anything that challenges Fauci, COVID, vaccines, uh, medicines at all. And as that's a result, you only had Howard Stern and Rachel Maddow and the others give the talking points that the establishment wanted. And they should also be held responsible for not checking the information they were giving. They are rich enough, powerful enough, and resource enough that they could have done the truth seeking on their own. They didn't. So now the lawsuits begin, and this is just the first one. There's going to be a lot more. Now we're going to show you a little clip. This is from MSNBC, and uh, I think you'll find this of interest. Quote, designed to start a war, Israel obtained Hamas battle plan more than a year ago. Who says the New York Times, that means that Netanyahu and all the top generals, everyone knew that exactly what they were planning, Hamas was planning. And then they had reports from their own intelligence agents who were managing the fence that they were seeing, visibly seeing, Hamas training with hand gliders and all this other stuff, and they chose not to do anything. Now, now the, what will probably happen is that they'll say, well, uh, we just didn't think that it was that important or it wouldn't happen, it was not plausible. Well, all right, they may be right. But also, this might have been a false flag. So we don't know the ultimate truth. We just know that it was grossly incompetent. And the so-called superpower, uh, it's super stupid. Let's go to the clip. We are following some breaking news this hour. A truly remarkable report out of the New York Times about the extent to which Israel was warned about Hamas's intentions to start a war ahead of the deadly October 7th attacks. Quote, Israeli officials obtained Hamas's battle plan for the October 7th terrorist attack more than a year before it happened, documents, emails, and interviews show. But Israeli military and intelligence officials dismissed the plan as aspirational, considering it too difficult for Hamas to carry out. The approximately 40-page document, which the Israeli authorities codenamed Jericho Wall, outlined point by point exactly the kind of devastating invasion that led to the deaths of about 1,200 people. According to one intelligence analyst in Israel, this was not merely a plan for an attack. Quote, it is a plan designed to start a war. Ben Rhodes served as Deputy National Security Advisor to President Barack Obama, and he joins me now. Ben, this, this just published before he went to air, so I just want to sort of set the table for folks. I mean, it's not just that there's a battle plan. It is the battle plan. It involves things like uh, paragliders going over the fence. It involves machine guns and drones to take out security cameras. It involves initiating with a, a barrage of rockets, uh, motorcycles going over the fence. I mean, it's literally the, the plan. And they had it inside the Israeli intelligence apparatus. What, I, what's your, as someone who works in the United States and security apparatus, what is your reaction to this? I mean, it, it's absolutely astonishing, Chris, because to your point, sometimes you have warning that something might happen, but very rarely, if ever, do you have this level of specificity. Uh, I mean, before I was in the Obama administration, I worked 
for the vice chair of the 9-11 Commission on the 9-11 Commission. And this would be analogous to the U.S. government having had information that, you know, al-Qaeda was planning to try to fly planes into these targets from these airports and had people in flight schools. I mean, this is a level of specificity that intelligence almost never gets. Um, and that's what is so astonishing about this reporting. It wasn't just like a concern that Hamas might be up to something, they might be trying to plan something big. You usually get those types of warnings, you know, reflections and conversations or intercepted communications. This was the literal plan of what they actually ended up doing on October 7th within the Israeli system for a full year. Um, that is something, that is an intelligence and policy failure that goes beyond anything that I can think of, frankly. Yeah, I was trying to search for something, some analog or precedent, and was coming up NP as well. Then there's another additional aspect to this that in some ways is even more damning, which is that at least one analyst in a unit in the Israeli intelligence system basically watched or saw that there was a rehearsal about six weeks before the attack and once again basically went to a superior and said, it looks like they're rehearsing the plan from that we have, Jericho Wall, and was again, as again, according to the reporting we have in the New York Times, encrypted emails they've obtained, basically told, don't worry about it. Yeah, um, uh, so seeing the rehearsal, and the thing to bear in mind, Chris, and we don't know yet how far up, I mean, there are questions that remain. The questions that I would have are, was this plan briefed to Prime Minister? Okay, so now that gives us another piece of the puzzle. Because everyone was asking, including Israelis, including soldiers, how did this happen? Well, now we know that they weren't just asleep. They knew it was going to happen. They were warned repeatedly. They're training for it. And yet they had the, a week before this, the Israeli high command took all, most of the soldiers from Gaza uh, border and put them in the West Bank. Why did they do that? So, you know, there's more to come on this, but this is another question thrown at Netanyahu. Now, I want to thank Sharon Willems, uh, one of America's leading citizen journalists who writes for a major uh, West Village paper on consumer issues. She sent me over a new study that showed that about 80% of the public believes that depression is caused by a chemical imbalance, meaning a low serotonin level in the brain. But now a study that was an article published by Arjun Walia, W-A-L-I-A, uh, raises this question, quote, researchers and scientists have long questioned the widespread use of antidepressants, not only for lack of efficacy, but for the harms associated with them. They've also question the premise for these medications primarily because the theory that depression is caused by a chemical imbalance in the brain is hotly contested. For decades, this theory has permeated the world of health and been accepted as truth despite very little evidence. As a result, antidepressant drugs have become multi-billion dollar industry. Quote, and where there is a scientific vacuum, drug companies are happy to insert a marketing message and call it science. As a result, psychiatry has become a proving ground for outrageous manipulations of science in the service of profit, end quote. And that quote was from a Dr. Donald Karlst, 
associate clinical professor of psychiatry at Tufts University School of Medicine. Now, that's good. Now they are, have an article, but we have the author of that article, the original study, and we interviewed that person, filmed them for the multi-award winning documentary. In fact, it's the most award winning documentary in the world right now. I don't talk about this. I don't tell you. It's about two two times a week we are getting awards for this film, major festivals. Why? Because it tells the truth and it shows light on an entire industry, the mental health industry, and it's an industry, multi-billion dollar industry, and there's no science supporting it. Here are the clips. I'm, I'm playing three clips. You'll hear the medical doctor who did the largest study ever done And here's what she says. She says, and this is what this article says, the brain chemical imbalance theory has no scientific support. It's not true. Well, I brought this up more than 30 years ago, then about 20 times another article since then, and now in the film. So once again, we're way the hell ahead of all science, all medicine, and most importantly, protecting public not to allow a psychiatrist who's going to, quote, help you with your mental chemical imbalance. A, that doesn't exist, but suicide and manic and, uh, and mass killings. By the way, why don't they ever tell you about the 90% of the mass murders were on psychiatric drugs? Here's a clip from the film. I have studied psychiatry for eight years now, and I have never seen anything as bad in the rest of healthcare. Most of the research is so flawed that I call it pseudoscience, that uh, it is made to confirm some beliefs that are simply not true. And one of these beliefs is the myth about the chemical imbalance, that you have a mental disorder, you are depressed because you have a chemical imbalance, Now we have a drug that will fix your chemical imbalance just like that. And this is totally wrong. It has never been possible to demonstrate that people with mental disorders have a chemical imbalance compared to healthy people. It's just coming up to half past eight, and this is a really important interview that we're about to do because um, with us now in the studio is Professor Joanna Moncrief, and a new study shows there is no clear evidence that depression is caused by a chemical imbalance in your brain. Yeah, and this is absolutely landmark because for years people have been told that it's due to a lack of serotonin. So there's been an idea around for a long time that actually the evidence about serotonin doesn't stack up, that that there are studies out there that are negative or inconclusive, but no one before has got all the research together and looked at it in total and found that not one single area of research on serotonin, at least the main areas, really provides any convincing evidence that depression is associated with low serotonin levels. So my interpretation of this research is that we need to look at depression differently. We need to stop seeing it as a brain disorder and start understanding it as an emotional reaction to people's circumstances. Right. You know, depression is different in everyone that has it. And that's because the causes of depression are different in everyone that has it. And the first thing is to tackle the causes, is to address why someone is depressed. Mm. 
you know, and there are lots of things about modern society that make people susceptible to depression. We live in very stressful times, you know, huge cost of living crisis, so many people in debt. The research on antidepressants actually shows they are only marginally better than a placebo tablet. So an awful lot mm. of the effect of the antidepressant is the hope that people get from taking a tablet. And, and that is an important message in itself, yeah. that actually giving people hope and support, letting people know that, that other people care and are trying to help them, that in itself is helpful. The point is, though, that from the scientific point of view, we have to be sure that our treatments are effective and that they're doing more good than yeah. There is still a great deal of defensiveness, I would say, um, in the psychiatric profession, particularly when you start to question the basis of drugs like antidepressants that are so widely used. So, yes, I've been criticised uh, for speaking out about this paper and for trying to highlight, particularly for trying to highlight the implications that it has that this research on serotonin has for our understanding uh, of the use of anti antidepressants. I do feel that the profession would rather that this subject is not debated in public and would rather that people are not aware of the fact that antidepressants are mind-changing and brain-changing drugs world-renowned physician and co-founder of the prestigious Cochrane Collaboration, Dr. Peter Gochi, identifies the modern medical establishment as a crime organization. Part of the business model for Big Pharma is actually organized crime. And in U.S. law, organized crime has to do with committing the same offense more than once. And these offenses can be bribery, extortion, tampering with witnesses, political corruption, obstruction of justice. The world's biggest drug company is Pfizer and Pfizer has been convicted of organized crime and a conspiracy. But Pfizer is not alone and international bribery is also more common for the drug industry than for any other industry. So organized crime is an important part of doing business when you sell drugs, unfortunately. Okay, that's just five minutes out of a two-hour film where I simply show the truth about everything in psychiatry. It is an unscientific cult, and I do not recommend it for anyone. Psychology, psychotherapy, Humanistic psychotherapy, yes, that works. This doesn't. Now they censor everything, and then they have all these people that will attack you. They have all these different ways of destroying any critic's reputation. And But that's the truth. Now what we're going to do, and I just decided this this morning, next week, every day next week, I'm going to play 20 minutes of my last which means current in the last two years, five documentaries like uh, Manufacturing Madness. This, this clip came from. But you're going to hear 20 minutes, which will really give you a better understanding. And then Curing the Incurable and uh, things you would not know existed otherwise in all these uh, cost of denial. 
So that's coming next week. Now, another topic that gets no attention but should. Quote from Tyler Burden and uh, authored by Steve Watson and Modernity News. The entire board of a major United Kingdom charity was fired for being white. That's correct. Hard to believe, but I read the article. I read the background on it. Now, mind you, none of these people did anything wrong. Not a single person. And this is a multi-hundred million dollar foundation, and they give uh, money away each year uh, to the needy. But they were told, uh, after, and they were motivated by Black Lives Matter, that because they were Caucasian, that they had, quote, white, uh, a white advantage and a privileged advantage. And therefore, they all had to be, all had to be fired. And they were. And yet these were skilled people uh, who none of them had anything racist in their background, but they had to go through special training, um, what was called racial justice and white supremacy culture. So they were equating just normal people who work for a charity, who were on their board of directors, who helped the charity. They had to go through training as if they were all white, uh, racist, white supremacist. And uh, wow, how bad does it get? But that's Great Britain, and I would expect that in Great Britain. So sooner or later, we're going to wake up and challenge, as I have done in over 40 articles and essays, commentaries, identity politics, the stupidity, the intellectual degradation of common sense and reason about uh, the D'Angelo book that caused this whole thing to take shape. And now it just, it's insane. All right? The wokeness all tied together, identity politics. Just want to let you know that that exists, that's happening. Now, also, uh, another one. There's an unquote, an unprecedented surge in cardiac arrest cases in Victoria, Australia. Quote, from Ellen Wan uh, from Epoch Times, in the past two years, there has been a notable surge in the number of cardiac arrest cases. Um, and it talks about it talks about all these cases in people who were young and healthy and had no risk factors. And the only thing that was different is they took the vaccines. Now, are they able to get that information out? No. Why not? Because uh, there is absolute uh, censorship on anything that challenges. Let me give you an idea of the censorship. This is also written by Dr. Brenda Balletti, B-A-L-E-T-T-I, and it's the following. Moderna, that's one of the makers of the COVID vaccine, is now monitoring websites for anti-vax narratives. Now, mind you, who most likely are the people to be writing concerning, well, uh, COVID and its mistakes, errors? Top ultra-orthodox pro-vaccine people, including the scientist Dr. Robert Malone, who invented at the Salk Institute the technology that allowed them to make the RNA vaccines. Who took the RNA vaccines? He and his wife but then started seeing all the craziness, the lack of science 
and spoke out. For that, he was attacked, put on the front page of the New York Times as one of 12 crazy people out there disseminating misinformation. Now, these people were right. All along, they were right. Quote, listen to what this is about, and you didn't know this until right now. Through a pharma-funded nonprofit called Talkwalker, quote, social listening company, Moderna's team run by a former 20-year veteran of the FBI, deploys artificial intelligence to monitor everything from mainstream news outlets to gaming sites. Moderna's disinformation department, who knew they had one, partnered with an industry-backed nonprofit, the Public Good Projects, nice name, isn't it? Public Good Projects, to monitor millions of websites and suppress dissenting voices on COVID-19 vaccine policy. That means, by the way, 75,000 of the best and brightest uh, scientists in America, including multiple Nobel Prize winners, including the top epidemiologists, Stanford University School of Medicine, uh, Oxford University, and, uh, and Harvard University, were the ones who put this together, showing what was wrong. All of them were attacked as disinformation. All right? They weren't. They had honest information. But this just shows you the level of censorship that goes on. And so then the, the vaccine company has the power to influence the social web networks and the White House and members of Congress say, this is all misinformation. Allow nothing to happen. Now here's something you didn't know, and this is brand new. We want to thank Michael Schellenberger for this. He sent it, quote, it's called the S the CTIL files part one. That means more parts are coming. Quote, many people insist that governments aren't involved in censorship, but they are. And now a whistleblower has come forward with an explosive new trove of documents rivaling or exceeding the Twitter files and Facebook files in scale and importance. The CTIL files number one U.S. and United Kingdom military contractors created sweeping plan for global censorship in 2018. New document shows a whistleblower makes troves of new documents available to the public showing the birth of the censorship industrial complex in reaction to Brexit and Trump election in 2016. Ah, Okay, what does this mean? Red flag. Voting and election interference. Okay, it wasn't Russia. Four separate congressional investigations, including the Durham report, found no association between Russia and Trump in uh, swinging the election. But these people planned on that because they were going to censor everything on Donald Trump. Did you even know these organizations existed? Do you know that it was the U.S. military and the United Kingdom military contractors? Quote, contracts created a sweeping plan for global censorship in 2018 before COVID. And they just kept going right through COVID. And then it shows three photographs of three of the people who are behind it. Um, and so more to come on that. And we're inviting Michael on the program to go into depth in this. So we have hundreds of different groups, all involved in censoring the truth in every area of life. 
and you thought the New York Times or Rachel Maddow or Howard Stern would give you the truth, I challenge that. And by the way, uh, were you told the truth on taking your vaccine and your follow-ups? Of course, Gary. You're a crazy person and causing unnecessary death. No, my information saves lives. Yours in disinformation, including people on Pacifica, shame on them. You're on the wrong side of everything, especially on COVID. So look in the mirror and ask yourself, you're promoting the vaccines and the mandates. How many people took them because they were motivated by you and died or became injured, including permanent injury? What are the deaths? According to the two best studies I have and the, and the, the authors I've spoken with personally, 500,000 dead Americans uh, and 160,000 permanently injured, 14 million injured beyond just a, a, a burning sensation in the arm. But also, uh, you're looking at people that were those figures were based upon low numbers of the vaccine adverse reporting system that they used. They could be twice that amount or three times that amount. Now, let's just give you a little talk now. This is called Excess Deaths 2023 by Dr. John Campbell. And he's interviewing a leading expert in this. Mind you, these are all pro-vaccine people. And it's going to be a little bit technical because what they're doing, and you can see this in real time if you go to PRN.live, scroll down to archives and scroll down to Gary's notes. That's where I keep all these articles and videos so you can watch them in real time. You're seeing charts of how, what, how many people died up through uh, 2021. And then you see this huge spike. And now... The COVID is gone, you're still seeing a huge spike. Well, how is it possible that if COVID is no longer the issue and they're not dying from COVID, what are they dying from? They're dying from the effects of the vaccine. Myocarditis, endocarditis, stroke, uh, Guillain-Barre syndrome, etc. And here's just more evidence. Let's go to the clip, please. You're very welcome to today's talk, Monday the 27th of November. Now I'm going to be looking at some of the excess deaths data from the countries that we normally look at. And I'm going to restrict this to 2023 excess deaths now, because as we get to the end of November, the year's data is starting to make sense and the news is not at all good. We'll also be noting that vaccines, at least Moderna vaccines, are being uh, suspended in Iceland and restricted in some other Scandinavian countries. They seem to be well ahead of the curve. And as time permits, I want to look at some data from the uh, or information from the CDC, which you might think is a little bit strange, but we'll, we'll come on to that. Let's look at some of this excess data first and really pretty concerning. So this is Australia here. Now, we can see that this actually begins in uh, January 2023. So that's where we actually start this uh, this graphic today. And it was pretty high, over 20%, just under 20%. And it seems to have dropped down really quite dramatically. Now, I really hope this is genuine data, but I'm afraid, I suspect it may not be. I suspect it may just be um, that it's incomplete. Um, but we'll keep an eye on that. But um, we can see that the death rates have been high and this data is all based on the uh the five years up to 20 uh 2019 for the averages so way above what we would expect in 2023 not 
the vast majority of these not by any means attributed. Okay, he is one of the most respected people out in the internet. He's very grounded in orthodoxy. And we had, what he said was, that we had all of the excess deaths, meaning you take a normal year. In the United States, it's more or less around 1,800,000 deaths from all causes. And so you take five years, and it pretty much is, stays a flat line at that number. Then suddenly, you for COVID, at the beginning, you see a spike, but then it comes back down until the vaccine. Then you see this huge spike, and then it comes down a little bit, but now you see up to, in some countries, up to 40% excess death. That's huge numbers. That would be hundreds and hundreds of thousands in the United States. And yet, they try to make excuses for this or don't discuss it at all. And you haven't heard about excess deaths from any of the major media because they censor this. So now we're seeing what I predicted would happen. People had autoimmune conditions where their immune system was already overactive. And now you gave them vaccines which stimulate the immune system again. And as a result, their immune system collapses. Their organs collapse. And now we're seeing a lot of deaths. So a lot of people who got the vaccine don't realize that they have ticking time bombs in their system. And we're, we're going to see this. And there's no other explanation for these uh, excess deaths. And there's lots of charts, and that goes on for an hour. Here's something brand new. We want to thank Alex Newman from Epic Times. Quote, this is brand new. I didn't know this. A powerful United Nations agency has unveiled a plan to regulate social media and online communications while cracking down on what it describes as, quote, false information, end quote, and quote, conspiracy theories, end quote, sparking a long alarm among free speech advocates and top U.S. lawmakers. In its 59-page report released this month, the United Nations Educational, Cultural, and Scientific Organization, UNESCO, outlined a series of, quote, concrete measures which must be implemented by all stakeholders, governments, regulatory authorities, civil society, and platforms themselves, end quote. The approach includes the imposition of global policies through institutions such as government and businesses designed to stop the spread of various forms of speech while promoting objectives such as, quote, cultural diversity and, quote, gender equality. Wow. So they're creating what they call the Internet of Trust. And that will then target, quote, misinformation and disinformation in conspiracy theories. So what is going to be a conspiracy theory? What is going to be disinformation? Everything that you have been told or shown by the scientists, physicians, activists, journalists that was wrong with COVID and vaccines in general, all that will be banned. Okay? That's where they're going. Again, you're not aware of it until one day you don't see anything and you don't see anything because the algorithms of Facebook only have you if you type in uh, alternative cancer treatments, you'll go to an orthodox site. You won't be able to see what's actually happening. And that's going to be true of every topic. A healthy diet. Well, a healthy diet, if you look at the person that the Biden administration came in, is a junk food diet. All got Fruit Loops and all this other stuff's involved in it.
that causes disease. So all truth is now being banned. All lies are being promoted. And yet the Democratic Party, which used to be a group of liberals on a spectrum who believed in freedom of speech, believed in challenging corporate and government uh, totalitarian principles, is now running a fascist operation. Who would have thought? But that's the way it is. Okay, and also just want to let you know that Heretz uh, confirms in Israel the gray zone and Max Blumenthal's reporting it dismissed as, quote, conspiracy showing Israel killing uh, its own festival goers. That has been proven true. And that's, they've come out and apologized and says, yes, that did happen. And another uh, thing, this is important. Uh, remember we showed you the clip, played you the clip on January 6th? Well, here's the latest on that. Quote, new January 6th footage shows Capitol Police may have incited the riot by firing munitions into peaceful crowd. Quote, House Speaker Mike Johnson has released over 40,000 hours of January 6th footage, including Capitol Police body cam footage to the public in the interest of transparency and action, which should have been done years ago. Each new piece of footage only confirms what many Americans already understood, that the few scant minutes of available video recycled by the media paint a false picture of what really happened. Many would argue that January 6th was nothing more than a protest that was turned into a riot by police inciting and establishing a spin. Even worse, there are many people now languishing in prison because of that spin. The latest footage shows Capitol Police inviting protesters into the building as they peacefully assembled in the corridors. The same people who would later be prosecuted and labeled insurrectionists. Um, and also it shows the police shooting first and shooting rioters, and still the rioters didn't riot, and then hitting them with uh, 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 pepper spray and and then the agent provocateurs, quote, too many governmental agents to count were the ones causing the damage. And the FBI director has, has refused to talk about this. So just want to let you know, why was this done? Well, because then they can use this as a way of keeping uh, the people who would have voted for Trump, for whatever their reasons, uh, from voting for Trump. Hmm. And we're going to finish off today. Um, well, you know what I'm going to do? Um, I'm going to uh, invite people to call in and share their points of view. Today's program is all about censoring the truth and promoting lies. This is purely Orwell. If Orwell published 1984 today, it would be nonfiction. But I want you to, you know, I want you to have a chance to call in at 888-874-4888. And everything I've shared is backed up by videos, by scientific documents, and uh, by people who are involved in it. And do you remember at least 3,000 of you joined me about 10 years ago when we went to the Javits Center where the uh, American Psychiatric Association was having its annual convention with thousands of psychiatrists 
and we were outside and questioning them, filming them. And I'll give you just one type of typical example. Let's say I stopped a person and uh, I said, could you give us any scientific basis for diagnosing any mental illness? And not a single one of them said, yes, there is such data. The blood chemistry, uh, imaging of the brain, anything. And the answer is no, it's all subjective. Okay, well, if it's subjective, and if it's been shown that sugar pill works as effectively as Prozac, and Prozac has all these devastating side effects, why not just give sugar pills to all the patients and counsel them? You wouldn't be doing the harm. You wouldn't be setting off all these uh, imbalances in dopamine and serotonin in the brain, which can cause normal people to act out in very harsh ways. Anyhow, I want to thank all the people from this audience because in that year alone, I had seven different demonstrations that we led and on a lot of different topics, and it was good to see the people come out. But now we've got to realize coming out to a demonstration doesn't change anything. Policymakers and opinion leaders do. We need a congressional oversight committee on talking with the survivors of psychiatric abuse, those who've been given electroconvulsive therapy or put on drugs for life and or been falsely diagnosed. And it's a kangaroo court. And the patient has no rights in that court. We need to strip down all of psychiatry and get all the meds out and show, and I have all the studies showing it's all fraud, and we have a lot of people willing to testify. I've got hundreds of psychiatrists willing to testify that the field they're in is an embarrassment because it's not a medical science. It's voodoo science. It's a cult. Anyhow, we're going to say goodbye to WBAI and continue on, and I'm going to uh, ask uh, Dylan. Dylan, if you have any calls, just tell me in my headset, and we'll go to those calls, all right? And do we have anyone on? No calls right now, Gary. Okay, good. Just let me know. I'm going to uh, I'm going to thank Chris Hedges for this. Israel's war on hospitals. Israel is carrying out, quote, a campaign to make Gaza uninhabitable. This campaign includes destroying all of Gaza's hospitals. The message Israel is sending is clear. Nowhere is safe. If you stay, you die. Uh, Dylan, would you please play our final clip that will lead us to the end of the show? This is, this is a narration of a video. You've got to see this. You can go to my website and download it. And this is showing you what Gaza looks like today. It looks like Hiroshima. And there's over 60,000 of these uh, structures destroyed. And there was a man, people living there. They have no place to go. And Israel said, if you come back, we'll kill you. Play the clip, please. This is what remains of the Alzara neighborhood southeast of Gaza City. This drone footage shows you what it looks like after days and days of Israeli bombardment. To be sure, this is just a small slice of the destruction Israel has wrought on the northern Gaza Strip, where 1.1 million people have lived, and where some 60,000 residential structures have been completely or partially destroyed. 
There's nowhere to live here. No running water, no electricity, and no heating as the rainy winter season approaches. And the Israeli military has vowed to shoot anyone who attempts to return home, declaring the area a closed military zone. Israel has killed over 8,000 children and women in the Gaza Strip since war erupted on October 7th. When this footage was taken during a temporary ceasefire in late November, Israel had killed a total of around 15,000 civilians. Thousands more are missing under the rubble. According to the New York Times, the rate of death during Israel's assault has few precedents in this century, as civilians are being killed at a historic pace. Iraq Body Count, an independent British group, found that more children and women have been reported killed in under two months than the 7,700 civilians killed by U.S. and U.K. forces during the first year of the invasion of Iraq in 2003. The Euromed Human Rights Monitor found that during the first week of conflict, Israel killed 14 civilians per hour, transforming vast swaths of the besieged Gaza Strip into uninhabitable hellholes. Israeli Heritage Minister Amichai Eliyahu has said that one way of dealing with Gaza's population was to kill them all with a nuclear bomb. By late November, Israel had dropped over 40,000 tons of explosives on the densely populated Gaza Strip, far more than the equivalent of a single 20 kiloton nuclear bomb. The footage that you see was taken during a ceasefire. According to Politico, there was some concern in the Biden administration about an unintended consequence of the pause in fighting, that it would allow journalists broader access to Gaza and the opportunity to further illuminate the devastation there and turn public opinion on Israel. So far, foreign journalists have been blocked from receiving unfettered access to the Gaza Strip. This footage was provided to the Gray Zone exclusively by Gaza-based journalist Mohammed El Saif. Don't look away. Okay. You can go and look at this. It's devastating. Remember, 15,000 known killed and over 10,000 women and children. Since when is it okay for the United States and Great Britain to say 10,000 dead children and 5,000 dead women are okay, um, but at some point there'll be a number to where we'll, we'll con be concerned about that. These are innocent people. They're not Hamas. They don't support Hamas. But then you probably have triple that amount who were in the buildings because you can see from the drone footage the buildings just pancake collapsed down on one another. Everybody was killed who was still in the building. No one survived that. And yet, no one knows the body count. It can be 10, 20, 30,000, 40,000 people dead. And you wonder why people are concerned, but our mainstream media is still protecting Israel. That's just one of the reasons. We're out of time. I want to thank you all for listening, and, and uh, we'll share more next week. And now, stay tuned for Jeremiah. <laughs>